Hello and welcome to my podcast. Sit back and relax while you listen to me, Ryan French, talk with experts in business as we explore the inner crevices of our minds and how this relates to peak performance. Now during my adolescence I was engaged in damaging and destructive behaviours that saw me get arrested several times and eventually a dishonourable discharge from the military. At that point in my life I had two options. One was to continue along this damaging and destructive path and the other was to accept that I needed help and seek recovery. Fortunately, I took the second option. Now throughout this time, boxing was my passion and I received my professional boxer's licence in 2016 but I got injured in my third fight and was strongly advised not to box again. Now whilst this experience presented challenges and difficulties, it was also the catalyst for something better. I now work with business owners and senior team members, helping them to be more resilient, optimistic and high performing in the workplace, whilst creating a life that generates more fulfilment. The purpose of this podcast is to help people who might be going through similar challenges to help you find solutions to your problems whilst creating a life that generates much more happiness. For more information on my one-to-one or team coaching programmes or workplace seminars, head over to my website, hittingtargetslimited.com. That's hittingtargetsltd.com. Please like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome back. It's me, Ryan French, your host. And today I've got a very special guest, Paul Wood. So Paul is an ex-Royal Marine and he took me, I suppose you could say he took me under his wing and taught me how to deliver a tough but intelligent fitness session. It's got to be about 10 years ago, mate, isn't it? It's about 10 years ago, I think, coming up to. Yeah, um, so me and Paul delivered outdoor fitness sessions in London together. And I have to say, I still use the methods that Paul taught me back then in my sessions that I deliver today. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce Paul Woody Wood. Hello, mate. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, mate. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Oh, nice. It is a real pleasure to um, to have you on. I know you've... Um, had an, a very interesting career up and uh, up uh, to date, mate. And like from operational tours in the military to going through university, um, and we just spoke just before we started recording. And not only uh, the last time I spoke to you, done a master, the, you done went for university, got a, a BSc in sport and exercise science, and then a, a master's in strength and conditioning. But you were just saying that you you're actually on a on a PhD at the moment, mate. Is that right? That's correct. So uh, I finished I finished the masters. I had an MBA and I'm, I'm two years into a doctorate now. Wow, that is awesome. How's that going on the PhD? Uh, I love it. To be honest, the, 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 mo- the most powerful uh, academic studies I did was the MBA in terms of something that I could apply to, to what I'm doing in business and getting my head around uh, what do these businesses want and how do, they, how do they view things? What can I do to improve their performance and to, to really develop an understanding of business the MBA was fantastic 
The doctorate side is obviously I'm looking at a very specific topic and becoming a bit of an expert in that topic is, is the aim of it, but um, I'm fairly OCD, so it was, uh, it was the appropriate move for me. I'd like to um, go back to where it all started for you, mate. If Correct me if I'm wrong, but was the military, joining the military your first um, career or did you um, have a career before the, you joined the military? Uh, there's, there's two answers to that in the sense that it was the first thing I ever wanted to do and the first thing I've got a, a formal record of saying 11 years old when I finished school, 16, I'm, I'm going to join the Royal Marines. Uh, but before I joined the Royal Marines, I was already involved in the security industry. Uh, but so, yeah, yeah, I don't know what you, we always go with that in terms of why I joined the Marines or all the career. I think why you joined the Marines, what, what was your inspiration for that, mate? Uh, I think it begins on reflection. At my early age, I was exposed to men through my family that had served in the military, not the Royal Marines, but in a number of different units and some of them foreign legion that had served in Vietnam. So I was quite aware of, of that side of the military in that sense, the, the, the highly, uh, highly kinetic dynamic side of the military, should we say? Um, and, and, and from a young age, that was the, the sort of calling to serve was strong within me. Uh, I exposed myself to a number of different people that were involved in the military and the cadets, the young boy, and then at school, the, the local armed infantry regiment approached our school but I guess for me looking back although you don't see this as a young man I always wanted to be a cut above and to push myself and to see how it would go and, and the Royal Marines was was the way ahead for me in that sense and so I I, I went uh, I went to join the Marines at 15. <laughs> I did I did the this is a different story I did the course and then uh, in those days you could join at 16 with parental permission uh, my mum, my mum refused to sign the forms, so I left home at fifteen and uh, uh, had a protest, and ended up living off the couch of, some, of a lady I knew. Uh, did my disease, and I worked for a security company. These were the days before you needed a security ID to at the door, and I spent four years working the door, um, doing a number of security jobs. Well, I finally joined the Marines when I I just gone past eight. I was nineteen. Oh, where was you working on the door then? What area? Oh, so uh, I used to run uh, some doors in Kingston, but some other big nightclubs across London. Some famous names, uh, but we also had contracts with where they're all over the UK doing doing jobs and events and TV shows and executive protection. Shall we say in inverted commas of a number of B at that time? So that was. Yeah, that was my life, mate. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it wasn't awesome. Now, looking back as a grown man, but at the time it was awesome, yeah. Yeah, so it was almost like your pre-training before going through Marines training. Uh, it certainly defined how I approached basic training when I joined the Marines. Uh, so I, I joined the Marines at 19, and... All I ever wanted to do is be a Marine, yeah, granted, but I suppose those years of working security certainly conditioned me um, a certain extent, and so I did quite well in training. I got a number of awards in the training and got put forward for, for different jobs, different roles. Um, so I got King's Badge for Best Royal Marine, um, 
commandant's prize for leadership and some other some other awards that you you can you can achieve at that point when you when you pass out. Uh, I was put forth for special duty straight out of training, and then I ended up serving my my relatively short career with um, special units of the Marines, some mountain leaders branch, and doing sniper course and reconnaissance courses. Uh, but spent our time away in Iraq because we'd invaded Iraq in 2003, and then went back in 2004, which is where I I had my uh, <laughs> my 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 conversation with a with a Land Rover. All right. So, what what happened there then? So I was injured in operations at the end of 2004, and we were on a particular operation to look for a a target that's now associated with the common day ISIS, but that didn't exist at that time. Uh, and on an operation, I subsequently had an engagement with a Snatch Land Rover, had a brain hemorrhage, lost my spleen, and lost part of my hand. So, so but did you get run over? Is that what you're saying? What happened? No, no. So we... we uh, we had an engagement when we were out on the ground. The vehicle started to, yeah, so the, the to roll. I headbutted my way through a, a wooden board, burst my spleen on the way out. And where I landed, the vehicle had taken my hand with it. And then uh, I was, I don't remember, I don't remember, I was put, I was more, put more, given morphine, taken to a uh, Battlefield Hospital, and then spent subsequently 28 days in a coma uh, and four months in a wheelchair. And the, the rest of 2005 in hospital and had the call. So, did you have to learn how to walk again? Yes. So, I, <coughs> excuse me. So, I spent a period of time. The reason I couldn't walk at the time they couldn't tell me why was although I went into the coma just over 15 stone, uh, I was quite lucky to be that big because the body eats itself and your heart rate's up. Why most people, it turns out, die of heart attacks, but I was not in bad shape. And my body itself, I went down to just under 12 and I'd lost most of my muscle mass in my legs and was unable to, to hold myself up. So it took a bit of time to build a bit of strength and teach myself to walk again. And then I went straight to the court and spent the rest of the time there on a, on a, um, on a walk because of my brain injury, fundamentally. But yeah, it's, it's a, a challenging period. And obviously the loss of, loss of use of one of my hands, trying to teach yourself how to do shoelaces and use knives and forks. Uh, and having gone from being what was a super, you know, I was in good shape, and then I've opened my eyes, and I'm in a different country. It's three months later. I don't know what's happened to me, and people are having to repeat to me the same story because of a, a brain injury that left me with a short-term memory uh, challenge that I didn't, didn't always remember. They just told me the story of how I got there. So that that was that took a period of time to. Uh, to get used to what's have you recovered from with that from that brain hemorrhage is that like so your memories are good now everything's recovered or is, do you still have um repercussions from that no so i now we're now what uh 20, 2019 so this took place on 31st december 2004 i obviously my, my hand is my, my hand is my hand what's left of it the spleen's gone in terms of brain injury, you know, the brain injury left me short-sighted. Uh, I had to retrain myself. And so when you and I first met and people would say, oh, you've got a great memory, you can remember all the customers' names, and saw that as great client care. What they didn't know was I used to use the list of names and the associates with the face as a training process for me to 
train my memory because I, I have to make something a long-term memory as opposed to a short-term memory. Uh, now, in terms of residual injuries, the brain injury, yeah, I mean, if I'm under, if I'm under strain, then I know that my short-term memory may be more challenging. I have a friend who was a professional boxer, similar to you, and uh, he said to me, we've got the same, it's just that you, for me, he says you had one massive bang on your head and he had a number of years of bangs on his head. So it, it, it's, it's that, uh, that, that in terms of, because medicine doesn't know everything about the brain in that sense. So I can, I'm a, a sort of living experiment in, in those ways that, has it improved? Yeah, absolutely. How much of that is improvement through, you know, my physiology recovering or through my own training mechanisms? I can't tell you that. I just know that I'm certainly more functional than I was in 2005. Uh, and, yeah. it's, it's really interesting for me because um, I don't know how much you know about the injury I, I had about, I got injured two years ago. Um, in a boxing ring and I I couldn't walk properly for a, a month after it like my gait was really affected like the way I, I was walking like I had gravity boots on um like my my speech was slurred for a, a good I don't know two months and it's, it's really interesting because um although when I was going through that I I knew intellectually that there were many people that have gone through worse than I had at that time. When I was going through it, it it was hellish. And now when you talk about the injuries that you went through and the amount of retraining that you had to do over there, for me, it really does just dwarf completely like my experience of a head injury. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand, and, and but I always say, because I'll, I'll often have conversations with people and they'll ask about, you know, they might say about my injuries and you go through this and they start to apologize. That's not what you did, but they'll, and I'll say, man, everything's relative because what, if it's a challenge, it's a challenge and, and, and it doesn't matter. Um, so you, you've just, but the approach that you take to overcoming that challenge and, you know, the, the processes we go through that we either develop over time of, of a number of challenges or over something monstrous, and that, that's what really matters as opposed to the actual challenge itself. So, you know, that's it. Yeah. Could you maybe could you maybe talk through some of the methods and techniques that you used in to help you get through that? Yeah, of course. So for, for me, you've got to look at what is it? You've got to take away the emotional attachment to something, which is hard, and that can take time. Because whatever it is, whatever the challenge is in your personal life, in your financial life, physical stuff we're talking about here, it doesn't really matter. But we have an emotional attachment to something, whether that's because our own self-concept of who we are, uh, how our ego is damaged by something that's happened, or by the challenges that we perceive are going to happen because of a circumstance. We've got to try to remove ourselves from that and be objective and say, okay, this has happened, or you know, we, we, we can't change that. What we what we can influence is the way that we respond to this, and so from the very beginning, let's think about the end in, in sight. What is it we want to achieve? And sometimes we have to also accept that's not going to happen. That took me a long time for the military because I, for a period of time, was like, yeah, I'll be back and I'll get fit again. I'll be back on operations. And the biggest sort of struggle for me was to accept you're done. Yeah, you can stay in the military, but you can never do what you what you used to do. You never again you can't xyz and i had to just right put that on my mind because otherwise you'll just torment yourself and say right now let's change my end goal 
is it what I want? No, it's not what I want, but it's, it's what I've got to do. It's the best I can get. So if we can focus on a goal, then we can, the rest of it, we can sort of break down how am I going to get there. And I like to write things down. So I have books and books and books over the years of different thought process. How am I going to get there? What do I need to do to achieve this? How can I improve that? Who do I speak to? Where do I go and find out and educate myself? So in terms of overcoming that challenge, there is that. I mean, the biggest thing for me that we may touch on this is I have a real view about something about my internal dialogue. And I don't mean that in the sense I talk to myself. We all talk to ourselves because when we're alone, there's that voice in our head. Uh, and it's that internal dialogue that I'm trying to, over the years, recognize that whether we want to call it our, ourself, our spirit, our, you know, being reflective, I need to make friends with that voice and be able to manage that voice because it can either be my greatest strength or my biggest enemy. Because that voice is going to help me get through those dark times when no one else can because I'm, it's just me or it's going to be me that gives up and I, as a person, unfortunately, the voice has said that, that giving up is not an option. So if you can get to grips with that and recognize that and think about the ways that are positive ways to manage that voice, a bit like a, you know, how do I care for this? What do I need to do to keep it happy? Um, we get to all the Maslow's theory and all those different things. Um, but if I can get to grips with that, then that's going to put me in a better place to achieve that goal I've set myself. Carl, mate, you covered like so much ground there and there was so much synergy with the stuff that you was talking about with the stuff that i'm have been doing over the last 10 years working on my mindset and and also what i've been refocusing on over the last two years since since my injury and like you mentioned like um removing the emotional attachment to something and then you mentioned ego yeah so the ego attachment um, I read I read a book many years ago called uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, and he's I've just started reading one uh, another book by him called A New Earth, and that's one thing that he talks about a lot in there is this attachment to things that are external and making them part of your identity, because then you said you had to then change your end goal, yeah, whereas your end goal was something else, but. It's almost like, I don't know, like I'm paraphrasing now or just trying to interpret what you said, but it's almost like you were saying you removed your ego from the situation and then set yourself a new goal by removing that. Is that right? Absolutely. So uh, while I didn't see at the time, perhaps, as a young man that was going through all this process in my early 20s, the reality is now that I recognised you know, the Marines is a massive self-concept. That's who I was. It's all I ever aspired to do. And I had my whole career trajectory planned out in my mind and everything was going according to plan. And then I literally opened my eyes. I was in a different country and all of these things happened. I was three months ahead in a different year in a different in a hospital and with a, with a different body. And yeah, that, that, that was a little bit of a life-changing experience to say the least, but you have to sort of you can spend all day thinking about something and fighting it and wrestling it and we fight and go through this denial process. But the reality is, it's here. I've got to deal with this now and uh, take the emotion out of it and be because otherwise all of my decisions are fueled by that emotion uh, rather than by me being able to apply cognitive processes to it and say, what are my opportunities? What can I do? What am I qualified to do? How am I going to make money? How much money do I need to make? I mean, this is necessarily the in the right order, but you know, all of these different things you're thinking about, I need to set myself up in life and 
X, Y, Z. Uh, and the, the, the point is, it doesn't really matter whether you've been injured on military operations or you've lost your job or you've separated from your wife or all of these massive life-changing things. But what you thought you were going to do, what you thought was your, your norm, uh, you know, your existence has all gone. It's all changed. And everything that's interlinked with that, your, your partner, your wife, your lean or husband, uh, your money, your income, your job, your friends, your social form, perhaps where you live, perhaps your physical body, what you're capable of doing yesterday, but you can't do today. So there is going to be an emotional response to that because it's change and no one likes change. Uh, but, but the reality is, you know, you have to get to grips with it. And the person that's going to get to grips with that, regardless of all the people around you, and that's not to discount the power of a social network and, and those that love you and so on and so forth and the, and the positive impacts they can have, they can't do it for you. You have to do it. Uh, and so who's going to do that for you is you and that internal dialogue and that voice that you go to sleep with at night and you think, tomorrow I'm going to get up and, and make something better. And something I kept reiterating to myself, uh, and I've, I've spoken, people have asked me the similar thing before, and I've said, each morning I would say, I've got a choice. When I open my eyes, I'd open my eyes initially for the first few years and think, oh, I'm going to do this run or I'm going to do X, Y, Z, this my day's going to be like this. And then I'd start to slowly remember that I was disabled, that actually I'd missed a bit of my body. I can't do that anymore. I can't do this anymore. And X, Y, Z. And it's, it can be overwhelming. And so that feeling of the, of the, of the, the uh, you know, I used to say, uh, I'm going to be politically correct. Let's say an overweight individual sat on my chest, that horrible feeling of, oh, man, this, yeah, this, is, this is me now. Uh, but the reality is I'd say to myself, right, get a grip. You've got two choices every day. You either get up or you don't. If you choose to get up there in the morning, then you're absolutely going to grip the day and smash it and make it the best day you've ever had. And, and that's all you can do in every single day is just those little steps to get through today. Let's eat better. Let's move better. Let's talk better. Let's have better social engagements. I want to get better at this. And, and, and at the time for me, as you know, my early 20s, having to retrain myself to all sorts of things, how to hold a knife and fork, finding ways to tie a shoelace, because they say we can get you strapped on shoes, and I refuse that. No, Velcro straps. You know, I refuse to be defined by it. And I've heard the, the same quote used more recently. But I said, I said, I will not be defined by my disability. And that was that was a conscious choice I made, and and, and a big driving force, if you will. It's, I just, mate, I just think like I can't believe it's been so long since I spoke to you. But I just think it's just um, listening to you talk about it is. Like you just took me on like an emotional journey with describing like the the depths of like um, despair that you must have felt, but like this just utter refusal to like be like held back by it. I just find it so inspiring, mate. And I, I hope you, I, I hope that doesn't come across like tripe or um, like. But I really do mean it. It's just amazing, like how you've managed to just reprogram that internal voice. I really like the word that you use as well, like make friends with that internal voice. Like, how how did you do that through them? That must have been so challenging, mate. That's that's hard. Um, so <clears throat> there is a there is a theme that went through this for me that changed me after my own experience, uh, which was faith. And that opened me in a, in a different way. And I won't, I mean, not to go into, into into that in depth, but it certainly made me 
You can if you like, mate, because I'm 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 open minded to it. I've definitely got faith, and that's the only thing. And actually, said that um, on the last podcast that I did, we actually spoke about that was the only thing that got me through my injury was my faith. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly made me from what was someone that <laughs> no one would ever call a spiritual individual by any means. Uh, I certainly when the other end of the <coughs> sorry, excuse me, the other other side of the scale, if you will. But I recognise that. This driving force that's inside of me, and we see as a voice, that internal dialogue, you have to recognize, use the word despair, absolutely, that you look around and all that you see that you take for granted is gone, and people leave, people die, people that are your social network, they move on, your wives, and so on and so forth, and things, things do fall apart. And it, it is very, very easy to be overwhelmed by that and to, to to fall into despair. Uh, and so it's okay to be quite reflective during those times, but it's never really silent because there's that voice there all the time. So if you allow that voice to run away, to question you, to blame yourself, to uh, fear failure, to think that this is all too much, it's only gonna get worse, then that's exactly what will happen as opposed to saying to yourself, okay, now, quiet now, you know, this is, this is what we're gonna do. And this is how we're going to approach this. I guess if ever, another thing that I suppose the theme behind that voice as well, or how the approach of the voice for me that I've described it, is that life's a bit of a game. Uh, and I don't mean that in any positive connotation of playing the game Monopoly, but if you see it as a, as a game or a battle's too negative, but it's the case of the words no surrender and just keep thinking, I'm not giving up and I can't be beaten by this. And that, that approach... I suppose is how I've approached my engagement with that internal voice uh, and to, to keep myself motivated. And sometimes it can be like, I really don't know what my options are now, or which way I'm going to go. <clears throat> okay, well then I'll find out. Uh, and it's not, it's not always a positive place to be. So, you know, it's not positive psychology in that sense. It's, but it's a bit more about being resolute as opposed to positive. So I just, because I, I I have certain actions that I carry out every day that I suppose in a sense you, you could describe it as you you could describe it as making friends with that internal voice but because the most liberating thing that I discovered about just over 10 years ago was that I am not my faults so I am my first fault nine like nine times out of 10 my first fault is one that is one I probably wouldn't share publicly is my first fault is sometimes quite sick it might be quite derogatory it might be quite self-flagellating do you know what I mean it could be quite a negative fault so what I tend to do now is choose a second fault but that's something that I developed it took me a long time to to develop that and I was guided through that I had various spiritual advisors and um coaches in my life that would help me guide me through that I mean how did did you just come up with that by yourself or did you have like mentors or guide guides in your life that helped you to reprogram your brain for that how did that work no I I, I, I was alone uh, and and it was I read a lot but to, to be honest <coughs> excuse me sorry the biggest the biggest thing is I think that when you reach the lowest low, you have to, I told myself, 
you can keep falling. There's no bottom to this hole. Uh, and yeah, and I guess everyone's different. So I, 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 there wasn't really at that time anything I could compare myself to because in 2005, when I went to Headley Court, they said, these are the 21 most injured British military personnel on, the, on this ward. You're one of them. Uh, I went back in 20, 2011, I think it was. There was 80, 80 people there to visit a friend with people lost their limbs in Afghanistan and things like that. So a different ward, a different environment. But uh, it, so there wasn't anything out there that that support network didn't exist then that was that, that that's there now. So it was it just was a case of <clears throat> you know getting on with it a little bit, and I suppose that's that's probably what made me sound a little bit sharp in the sense I'm like you you've got two choices get up or don't. Uh, that, that, purely because they were the only options that existed at that time. There wasn't a middle ground, uh, and I'm okay with that because it was. Appropriate to me, I think that if if ever when people have asked me about what's the sort of approach, the biggest thing I'm going to stress is it's got it's different for everybody. Uh, yes, that was appropriate for me because of my nature to say, yep, yeah, let's just get on with it or don't. Uh, but for others, perhaps not so much, uh, and that's okay. But in terms of you talking about the voice and managing that voice, what I absolutely know is how we ended up meeting. For me, you have to manage that voice by. Being good to yourself is a bit strong, but I mean, physical training for me was always my life and my release. So I needed to train. I needed to eat well. I needed to. I became completely obsessed with that again, where I could train and work into way around to train around my one hand and all of these things. And when when I got myself back into shape, which I say back into shape, it took me a number of years to get back to where I was. Uh, but I, accepting that that's my life, so that's why I choose to live my life is to train and to. To make those choices, that for me absolutely placates and takes care of my internal dialogue, um, and, and it's my it's my man, management strategy. Physical training is not for everybody, but I you know I don't see a negative in in trying to be more active, in eating well, in um, meditation. Fine if people want to go that way, or some quiet time, reflective time. I certainly do that. So all of these things, and, and faith is is a, is a far you know broader broader piece to talk about and that's very individual but all of them have a similar a similar theme that they are about taking care of yourself and we we really need to take responsibility i believe in taking care for ourselves and particularly with there's a lot more awareness of mental health now and people going oh not that those problems didn't exist before it's just that it's recognized yeah yeah definitely whereas it was con it wasn't it, it was considered it, it was considered weak if you admitted that you had any sort of struggles in that area. Whereas now, thank God, it's now spoke as people talk about it more, and you're not looked at as someone who's weak if you admit that you've. In actual fact, it's, it's sort of um, the other. It's the other way now. It's, you're looked at as someone who's displaying strength if you admit actually I'm struggling at the moment. I need some help. Absolutely, and and in terms of that, I need some help. I think the first, I personally believe. The very first stage of um, or first line of defence for, for that is within yourself, is to take action yourself, whether that's to ask for help yourself or to start to manage your own internal environment a bit better, like those things we said, the exercise, the wellness approaches in your mind and your body. But that's the one that's easy for me to say that. Perhaps if we educated people a bit more about that 
And it's not necessarily about educating them about the benefits of exercise and nutrition and those things, because we get that. It's actually about educating them to say, you know that voice you've got if you in your head, and that's not to say that there's nothing wrong with that. We all have it. Maybe if you, you know, make friends with that voice and start to motivate yourself to make better choices, to be more, whatever we want to label it, more, more intrinsically motivated, positive psychology. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have a, I'm not attuned to any particular label, but just becoming a bit more aware of yourself and, and saying to yourself, I'm going to make this decision for me. Uh, and, and, and that's the first stage in looking after our bodies physically and psychologically, most definitely. God, mate, thank you for talking so openly about that and for for covering as much ground as what you've done as what you did rather there it's um yeah it's, it's fascinating to uh, listen and what I find is it's certainly true in my life I mean conquering this internal dialogue is and you mentioned it right at the end is action and that's what I could get about around what you were talking about all of this stuff that you were saying that you do whether it's physical activity whether it's healthy nutrition whatever it's for me what gets me out of myself which is this thinking because my thinking is the problem in any scenario because it's not really the problem it's the way I interpret the problem that's the problem (laughs) it's not really what's gone on do you know what I mean so the way that I get out of it is by taking action whether it's helping someone for me it's service being of service to someone else, thinking of someone else, putting someone else's needs before mine is what gets me out of that just mental turmoil that I can quite easily fall into if I allow myself to. Do you know what I mean? So thanks a lot, mate, for talking about that. What I want to move on to now is where you're, what you're currently doing in for sport. I mean, you're currently in pre-training for the Invictus Games, yeah? So I... I'm in the process and they're, they're deciding upon the squad. I, I attended the National uh, Adaptive Championships, Indoor Championships. I got silver. I, uh, <laughs> thank you. So they're, they're considering putting me through for the, for the Games next year. But also, off the back of that, I've been asked to go onto the, the talent scheme for the GB Paralympic team. Uh, for them. So, so that's, that's taking place late, later this year which is the first competitive sport I've engaged with in, in many years and certainly um, since since leaving the military. Yeah, that is awesome. And that's rowing, right? That's rowing. Yeah. That's um, that's, that's, that's awesome, mate. That sounds like a... a, a I mean, a, it's, yeah, it's really good. So what, um, what are... For anyone who doesn't know what the Invictus Games are, would you be able to just give us a little bit of um, insight into what the... Invictus Games are, and also the National Adaptive Rowing Championships. So, in, in terms of the Invictus Games, was created post, uh, you know, operation in Afghanistan. It's really for service personnel from across the world to be able to engage in competitive sport. It gives them a number of options there because uh, some of them are still serving, not all of them, but it's about showing to themselves, really, more than anything that despite whatever their injury may be, if that's a physical injury you can see or the injuries you can't see, they are still uh, you know, physically able, able to compete, able to engage and able to represent their country. There's a number of different uh, beneficial offerings of engaging the games. I mean, and each, each is really specific to, to each individual. So for me, I, I had my own motivations for it. Um, and it, it, I don't mind. So for, I'm, I'm a bit... Uh, period of time out for me from the military so it's not something about 
showing to myself I could overcome my injuries as such. It was more about a degree of closure on that journey. I think, okay, I've, still, I've, I've done that now. But as I engaged with the process and I, I went out there and competed, it was there's, there's a different buzz because being a little bit of a competitive soul, the idea of getting out there and still be able to perform, you know, to, to put in a high performance under pressure and, and thoughts for that was a good buzz for me. So that, that was another motivation I hadn't seen at the beginning of the onset. In terms of the indoor championships, it was an indoor championships at Sprint Row, um, which was, yeah, fantastic to be up in Sheffield uh, in front of a big crowd and, and, and racing. And uh, rather than fitness, it was a much more technical issue challenge for me because I fell off the seat uh, twice. Uh, but no, that's the way it is. <laughs> so, um, so what's happening now is I'm, I'm I get a bit of coaching to uh, get to grips. Loads of potential, just no technical ability. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's what was the distance then on that the indoor uh, one where you got silver? Oh, there's two. Sorry, there's two sprints. There's a minute sprint, a four minute sprint. That was a, that was a minute sprint. Was the um, yeah, it was that was the silver, but with the GB Paralympics, that's on the water, so that's still a two thousand meter row, the same as, same as uh, you know, uh, four, four to a four to a boat, so same as the Olympics. Yeah, so do you know? Do you know anything about? You, so just to confirm my my, um, my um, understanding, did you say you you have been selected, or you're in the process of going through the selection process? Yeah, in the process, so identified off off the back of performance in in the adaptive run gate, adaptive championships, but also in terms of training. So I'm starting to engage with them. This is really quite topical. It's, it's in the next few weeks, so I'll go and see those and see see how it goes. But it certainly was something I didn't have on my radar uh, as as something I've considered. But uh, we're going to see how it goes. <clears throat> oh, oh, good luck with it, mate. I'll um I'll certainly hopefully I'll share it on um on social media so if anyone listening as well wants to follow you hopefully they'll be able to see follow your progress as you go through them championships mate um so what i suppose it's not really because the challenges that you faced previously i mean i don't know what how the, are the challenges that you're going through now in terms of getting back into sport and now and a, and a build up to maybe a selection process what what are the biggest challenges that you're facing now so my, my challenge is there's there's a new challenge and then there's the, the remaining challenge. I still have the challenge of my my finding ways to overcome my my hand. What can I do to improve my performance? What can I do to adapt this? And and no one can tell you that because you know my what I have remaining of a hand is what I have remaining of a hand and find find out the ways to, to work around that. But uh, I suppose the challenge for me now is that because I'm running because I'm juggling so many different balls in the air. Uh, to manage the training process. Like many people, how do we perform at such a high level in so many different areas that perhaps don't actually interlink with each other? And we only have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, three, six, five a year. Something has to give sometimes. And it's uh, managing that and, and the internal refusal with your dialogue to let things give can sometimes be something that needs managing itself. So, yeah, it, at the moment, the challenge is how do I give adequate time to train? How do I give adequate time to this business I'm working with? Or how do I give adequate time to grow in this other business I'm working with? How do I give adequate time to continue with my studies? 
but fundamentally and most importantly, how do I give time to being a father? How do I give time to being me? So as as a as a as we as we get older, we have more responsibilities. We all have this wrestle. We all have that struggle, and sometimes that internal we we feel guilt when we let one thing go, whether it's guilty for ourselves or it's guilty for the loved ones we have around us, or guilty for the friends, or guilty for work. And you have to manage that internal dialogue to say, hey, it's okay, you know, you can't be everything to everyone all of the time and just breathe out and go, chill, it's going to be all good, man. <laughs> it's going to be all good. Uh, yeah, mate, it's like, it's, uh, mate, it's so inspiring listening to you talk about it. And especially, um, you mentioned, so having so many, juggling so many balls in the air and, and I've got the sense that maybe you was alluding to, I mean, you're completely off the mark here, but maybe you was alluding to like burnout sometimes. Is that something you're susceptible to or do you manage to control that so it doesn't get that way? Ah, so do I allow myself time to recover? No, probably not. But that's because there's a failing they've identified. So I would preach to someone that they need to take rest, that we need to have adequate rest and recovery excuse me, to allow ourselves to really, from a physical perspective, for those adaptations to take place. But putting physical side, you know, physical adaptations aside and then sport and exercise, it's the same for the brain. It's the same for all of our different parts. But we need to take that time, take stock and take a step back and breathe. Uh, for me, I guess I got, I fell into the habit whereby initially when I left the military and with my injuries, when we talked about, how am I going to cope with all of this change? My coping strategy was to run away. And by running away from it, keeping myself so busy, I didn't have time to think about it. And those juggling all those balls is a response mechanism that to those on the outside, and it's taken me a long time to reflect on this, to those on the outside, he's really successful now because he's doing this, he's running that, he's studying, he's growing a family. But actually, I'm juggling all these balls and I allow myself rest because I don't want to reflect on the realities of life. And over a period of time, I know I realized that's what I was doing. Uh, but rather than now, that being the case now, it's just I've had so many balls that were successful that were juggling. I've got to keep juggling them, uh, even though at the same time, I'm having an objective, you know, eye in the sky looking down going, oh, you're you're pushing it from all you know, from all groups here, and that's fine. And it, so will it catch me up at some point? Oh, I'm sure it will, but I'll slow down. That keeps going. So, so to, to whoever's listening, thinking he's got it all, all, all squared away, absolutely not. <laughs> I just have a coach squared away, but I don't practice what I preach at all times. And that's it's okay to, to realize that, that we all fail and we all let ourselves down. And it's okay to think, you know what, I haven't got this completely right. I know what I should be doing. But I don't always do that because it's life's full on, man. It's just the way it is. I just find you just fascinating talking to you, mate. You've, like you've got this very good way with words, mate. You take me, taking me. I don't know about anyone else listening to this, but you're taking me through like an emotional journey. On uh, while I was talking to you today, it's been covered so much ground. I mean, so as I just said, like you've covered so much ground today talking about everything that you've like the the challenges that you faced and also like the extreme highs that you've like experienced in your professional life as well like bef before your injury in the marines i mean you've achieved so much there but now also gone on to achieve academically and also in in the in the corporate world as well i mean i mean i do appreciate this is a very 
to hone in on only three skills or habits i appreciate it's probably going to be quite challenging but if you if you were if you had to say give three top skills or habits that you habitually put into place that have helped you to achieve those things what would they be so three three areas and they they might sound distinct but they do interlink with each other so i'll try to describe it one is focus one is communication and one is it's resolute determination so the focus goes back to what am i going to do this has happened to me what's my end goal how am i going to get there and it doesn't have to be a stress has happened to you but we can do that all the time because there's so much going on in the world there's so many opportunities available and there's just noise everywhere whatever that might be and different opinions and we're overloaded with information all the time which is a great thing but actually it can be quite difficult then to filter and make choices you really need, I believe, to focus on what am I trying to achieve here? How am I going to get there? How does that link into what else I'm trying to achieve? Can I support, you know, can they support each other? Or perhaps does this need to take a back seat until I've done this? You know, what's more important? So in terms of focus and prioritization, uh, I was going to say communication. Now, communication might sound a bit beast, but actually it's not only the way I'm communicating with people, how can I improve the ability for me to be successful in my communication with someone? Because fundamentally, at all times, when I communicate, I either want someone to carry something out for me, we do, or I want some information from you, or I just want to enjoy your engagement. I want you to enjoy that engagement with me. How can I improve the ability to get you to do something for me, get information from you, or how can I get make sure that you enjoy that, you know, this engagement more? So thinking about that all the time, and that's really crucial, not just with the people, how am I communicating with myself? And that goes back to the things we've touched on already about that conversation, imagine that internal voice, you know, am I looking after myself? How am I approaching this with myself? That will feed most directly into the third one about resolute determination. If you choose to do something, you focus in on something at the beginning, you talk to yourself about how am I going to do this? You motivate yourself with your internal dialogue. You talk to people about how you could best prepare for something and what's the best route. When you've done all this planning, then you just need to get on with it and do it. And don't let something sidetrack you. Don't be overwhelmed by things that come in because things will change. Things do change and there'll be new challenges and things you didn't foresee coming. Uh, but if you really want it, you just got to keep going and keep your eyes on the goal and the eyes on the prize rather and just keep going. And uh, I come back to what I said earlier, no surrender, just keep going. Uh, and, and that's that. Mm, yeah, that's um, yeah, it's awesome, mate. Uh, thanks a lot for um, for sharing so openly and speaking so candidly about um, all of your experiences up until this point. It's, um, yeah, I really enjoy talking to you, mate. So for anyone who's listening and they're intrigued by finding out a bit more about you and what you're doing right now, um where 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 can we where can they find you what you've got a website or social media handle um so yeah the company is gck performance gck performance.uk is the website and there's the contact details on there and and some articles and some bits and pieces but yeah i'm more than happy to speak to anyone if they want to drop me a line and want any advice on, on topics we've talked about Brilliant, mate. Thank you. Thanks again for your time. Um, as always, um, 
if you do want any more information about my um, services, so my executive coaching programs or my personal training services, head over to my website, which is www.hittingtargetsltd.com. And if you are listening and you like what you're listening to, please do drop me a message on social media. So Ryan French, um, hitting targets that's ryan french hyphen hitting targets on instagram and ryan underscore e underscore french on twitter and don't forget to like subscribe and share and please do leave me a review but only good ones please and i'll see you next time